Welcome back to a new episode of Living Gratefully. I'm still your host, Dan Gregg. And this week I will be uh, talking with you guys about my process of writing my sermon on Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. And this is um, a similar style of uh, Bible passage to my last sermon. And so, but however, there are a few differences. So we'll be going over that in today's episode, as well as um, I use a different sermon structure in this one. And so I'll be able to go more deeply into the sermon structure that I used. And I think y'all will enjoy it if you stick around long enough. And uh, thanks for the positive responses to my first episode. And I hope that this can be something fun that we all can uh, listen to and engage with uh, throughout my time here on Vicarage and then maybe even in the future uh, when I'm a pastor. So uh, let's get started. So, of course, the first thing I do when I am prepping for a sermon is I go on to Bible Gateway. Actually, um, <clears throat> so when I went on to Bible Gateway for this one, I first uh, looked at all of the different options that I could select for this Sunday from the pericope, um, from the lectionary, not the pericope, but so from the lectionary, you have the choice of the Old Testament reading the psalm, the epistle, and the New Testament reading. Uh, So uh, I read through all of those, and the the pericope that caught my eye from the lectionary this time was once again the gospel, even though I did do the gospel last time. So, um, you know, some churches, they'll always uh, preach from the gospel lesson, but... uh, of course, I want to vary my preaching uh, with my style because I am uh, big on that one. However, um, uh, so I chose once again to use this uh, gospel lesson um, and uh, it sort of continues on from last time. And uh, right now I'm not going to think about um, where and how it's related to uh, the narrow door pericope that I did last time. But of course, I will have that in the back of my head, uh, undeniably. And I have my yellow pad of paper, my legal pad next to me to jot down quick notes. Um, But I also um, go on Bible Gateway and I print out an ESV translation of this pericope, which is Luke 14, 25 through 35, because uh, this week it is the pericope's The Cost of Discipleship, as well as tacked on at the end, salt without taste is worthless. Um, a lot of people both struggle to uh, preach on the, the salt without taste pericope, and uh, the cost of discipleship one is also very hard, and uh, I'm all about Uh, tackling hard texts and um, not being ashamed of what I come up with. So the reason why uh, the cost of discipleship caught my eye 
is because I recently, uh, I took a class on creation at the seminary over the summer, uh, basically for fun, before my vicarage, even though I didn't need to be taking a class, I, uh, I, uh, I love the professor that taught it, Dr. Arend, and um, I got a lot out of it. And one of the articles that I read in that class was about this uh, salt without taste pericope and how um, many people, they read this one as only thinking about salt as what you put in food and instead talking about everything that salt is and was to the people at this time. So I'll get back into that later uh, in today's show. But first, um, first of all, that's just what caught my eye. And I said, okay, I want that one because I also know for my context that this Sunday, um, when I'll be giving this sermon is going to also be rally day. And so what that means, if you're not from a Lutheran context is that it will be the kickoff for Sunday school season. So, um, I thought that I'd be able to get some, um, uh, some preaching relating to teaching from this pericope. So with my uh, print out of this pericope, Luke 14, 25 to 35, I now uh, task myself with reading it. And so I have my printout, I have my pens ready to color code all my notes and to just scribble down my initial thoughts. And uh, I start with the title, and of course the titles weren't there when the, uh, you know, it was first written. It was added by the scribes and the monks and all that to help us organize the thought patterns of scripture better later. But first I read the title, The Cost of Discipleship. So initially, you know, I, I uh, circle cost and things start pinging off in my head. You know, cost. What do we think about with cost? Uh, you know, money, um, opportunity cost. Um, and then I uh, stories start to spring up in my mind. Um, one of those being uh, recently my wife and I, we went to on a whim in the mall when we were doing other shopping we on a whim went to a tea store that was closing for a month or so for construction for renovation and uh, we started picking out tea without asking or knowing what the costs were for the different teas so when they finally rang us up it was this immeasurable price that uh, they wanted us to pay and i literally was exclaiming in my head i did not consider the cost before i uh started picking out these teas. So, you know, that, that triggers in my mind. And what's that, what that also sounds like to me is because it's a goofy story. Um, and I can definitely interject it with sound effects and, uh, funny voices. I can probably use that for an intro to my sermon. And so I'll just scribble that down on my, uh, my page. And, um, so I keep reading now, Great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them. So Jesus is, has some followers, and uh, he's ha- probably going to have another teaching moment. Uh, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, 
and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. So this is a, uh, a terrifying one. Um, so, um, so what is terrifying about this? Well, of course, many things, but not including hate. Uh, so I definitely, I circled the word hate. And so when I did the research on hate, um, I got some commentaries and, um, some research that told me that this could be in a Hebraic text or a Hebraic context of kind of like, um, uh, Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. And so like preference or, um, just like disregard. But also I read a commentary actually from one of my professors that I respect. And he was telling me that, um, the only, the only commentary that is keeping us from taking this, the word hate at its word is ourselves that we, we don't want to hear this message. And it's just a very hard reading to hear. But, um, when I continue to do some research, um, when Jesus says even his own life, um, I was, I looked up the life word and it can refer to life, soul, person, because I actually found out that in the Septuagint, so in what the Septuagint is, is it's basically a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so that's what Jesus and the disciples were most likely familiar with at the time. Um, in, in, um, in the Septuagint, they use this Greek word, uh, souks, souks, uh, to be the Hebrew word nefesh. And if you're familiar with nefesh, if you've heard a sermon about it before or whatever, uh, you'll know that nefesh is, um, how the Israelites, the Hebrews described and referred to themselves or the whole self, uh, uh, actually, they even could call it the neck because it connects the brain and the heart. Um, that's how they saw the self. So um, while that does lend to the Hebraic reading of maybe this isn't as harsh with hating your your family. Um, instead, it's just leaving your family. Um, still, I don't want to. I want to take Jesus at his word uh, here. And maybe if we enter into the world of the text, which is ultimately my goal each time I read the Bible, um, maybe I would understand it in the Hebraic context. But um, I'm just gonna I'm gonna hold both in uh, paradox right now. I'm just gonna I'm gonna write both interpretations down and see what it reminds me of. But what initially what it does remind me of is um, a, a young man that my brother and I met when we were. Uh, doing a summer of archaeology in Israel, a young man from Ecuador, uh, and I won't uh, give his name, but basically we met him and we found out that he was an evangelical Christian and he was saved um, there in Ecuador by an evangelical mission. And what this did was alienate him from his family uh, because his family was not interested in having a 
uh, a Christian, um, you know, just telling them what to do, uh, being different from their traditional culture of uh, more of what we would think of as paganism, like a ritualistic sacrifice and Santeria and all of that. Uh, they weren't looking for some young kid to be telling them how to live their lives. And so Andy truly did um, consider the cost, the true cost of discipleship, or at least one of them from Jesus. Uh, and he uh, lost his family. Though it does look like that they're um, doing well today. Uh, he recently got married to a beautiful bride, and it looked like there was a fair amount of family in the photos. So perhaps they've been able to overcome that. Moving on, um, the next thing that Jesus tells us to consider when uh, being a disciple is that whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So um, the first thing that this reminds me of is that uh, my dad always would say this growing up. He'd say, you know, what about my cross or think about the cross I'm carrying or, um, you know, well, you got to pick up your cross and, and uh, you know, basically bear with it. Um, and so, yeah, I can bring in and talk about uh, like how we interpret the cross a lot today as like just the burdens we carry or the stresses that we have. Uh, I'm more so I'm interested in and what I normally you don't think about is that, you know, uh, so one, Jesus is um, talking about not only the burden, like having to carry the cross, but where is he going right now? Well, this is the segment of Luke where uh, Jesus is going towards Jerusalem. And so what is he going to Jerusalem to do? He's going to Jerusalem to suffer and then die on the cross. So he's not only saying, you know, you have to carry a lot of burdens if you're a disciple, so count that cost, but he's saying you have to be willing to die, to be persecuted, to truly die uh, if you want to be my disciple. And also, um, even though it's not Lent yet, where we're looking to Easter, so the death and resurrection of Christ, uh, it's never a bad time to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus and what that was. But um, it's easy to forget what the cross was back then. And the cross wasn't just, you know, a piece of jewelry that you wore or whatever, but the cross was shame, very shameful. Uh, it's not what people wanted. Um, a shameful way to die. Uh, you were naked, you were uh, physically um, incapable of saving yourself. Uh, so of course, you know, they say uh, he could save others, but he could not save himself. You know, how shameful. Uh, so basically, if you follow me, you will have a burden to carry. You will have to um, plan on, there's a high possibility you'll be killed and you'll die in a very shameful way that will bring on dishonor to you, your family, and to the whole, you know, memory of who you were. So that's something big that you have to think about. Also, uh, the third thing Jesus considers for us to talk about, um, he says, for which of you desiring to build a tower 
does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So there we get a uh, an ancient, you know, diss on people. I thought that was pretty funny that that's, uh, <laughs> that's how they'd make fun of someone back then. Ha ha, you started to build something and we're not able to finish it. Ha ha ha. But um, he continues on this third point saying, you know, and what king going out to dis- to encounter another king in war doesn't first sit down and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, sends delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So this third one, um, besides uh, him saying, renouncing everything you have, you have to consider the cost of renouncing everything you have. Um, he's touching on the shame um, that is also uh, involved with not planning, not planning ahead. And um, so what that reminds me of is my scout master saying proper preparation prevents poor performance. I think he called it like the four or the five P's of business. And also just the very real today uh, shame and um, embarrassment that comes from not being able to finish something. Like think of think of what people don't quit a job that they hate because they're too ashamed to quit or they don't like going to college or, you know, college isn't for them, but they still are trying their best to stick it out, even though they hate going to college because they're too embarrassed to not complete. And something else that this reminded me of, though, was the very real um, story. Because, you know, so Jesus says, for which of you desiring to build a tower? And I'm quite literally saying, well, which one of us desires to build a tower? And then I remembered this story that will come out in the sermon of uh, a time that um, we, I went to a Boy Scout camp and um, we kind of were just going to enjoy camping there. It was the last time that they would offer Boy Scout camping. It was called Camp Tomo Chichi Knowles. And it was the farewell to Tomo uh, camp out. And um, we were really despaired while we were there. But then my scoutmaster said, well, why don't we build a tower? And we were, we were all like, what do you mean? We can't build a tower. And then he was like, uh, yeah, you do. You all have pioneering merit badge. Let's lash a tower. And so basically, um, and I will end up putting this story into my, uh, my final sermon. But yeah, so when I have um, a story like that come up, I always think to myself, um, first of all, is this, you know, like, is it naturally, am I thinking of this naturally or is this going to sound forced? And as well, um, does it need to, you know, how many stories am I already having? 
will this just will this just begin to be boring if I tell story after story and that kind of thing. But uh, what I end up doing is keeping this story because I think it goes really well with the tower. And um, I think it's kind of funny that I actually desired to build a tower. And so I think it will connect with the audience or sorry, the hearers really well. And I'll actually uh, comment on who the hearers, like what is what does it mean to be a hearer in this sermon? Because Jesus, as we'll read, actually calls the people listening hearers. And so we'll also touch on that when we get to it. But um, let's continue reading. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? And I want, uh, so I kind of just, you know, um, brainstormed here and I was like, well, how can saltiness be restored? And, um, I thought of hearing the word. I thought of receiving the sacraments. I thought of going to Sunday school. And then I thought, ding, ding, ding. Okay. Going to Sunday school. Um, this Sunday is all about going to Sunday school because it is rally day. So that would be great, a great little nugget to have in there. And so it continues, it is of no use either for the soil or the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who hears, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So um, Jesus says in this last line, he who has ears to hear. And uh, in Greek, that is just one word, akouain. So literally one who has ears or hearer. And of course, in uh, Lutheranism, we call all the people in the congregation hearers because that's what Jesus calls the people, his, his students, his disciples, his catechumens, hearers, ones who have ears. Um, so I kind of see that as like him signing off. This is a teaching moment. And that goes really well with my whole um, scenario that I'm um, preaching with, which is um, preaching on rally day for Sunday school. So, um, let's take a quick break and we will continue with, uh, what happens after I read through the text. So the next thing that I'll do after uh, reading through the text is I'll kind of um, summarize in one sentence what happened uh, in this pericope. So uh, you're either salty or you're not is what I came up with. So you're either fully a disciple or you're not. There's no in-between. Um, and so uh, I'll write down those phrases and I'll think, all right, uh, that's something I can latch on to maybe for a title or a point. You're either a disciple or you're not. Uh, there's no in between. And then I'll try and write what's called an exegetical statement. And that's basically like a summary of what happened. So I'll say, in this pericope, Jesus talks about the true cost of discipleship. He says one needs to decide if they're willing to alienate their whole family or even die because of it. He says it's like sitting down and thinking about a building project or planning a battle. This leads to the reality that one must either be salty or not. There is no in-between. 
And what I can do from there is start to make decisions on what I want my focus and function statement to be. Um, the focus being what is uh, God doing in this text? And uh, the function statement being what do I want the hearers to do after they uh, hear my sermon? So my focus will be uh, Jesus's disciples must be all in to be a disciple. And the function I'm thinking right now is uh, that the hearers recharge their saltiness at Sunday school and Bible class. And that will be very fitting um, uh, for rally day. And then, of course, I want to think of the malady and the means of how I am interpreting this pericope and how I'm what I'm thinking of for so the malady it would be um, how is sin or how is the hearer prevented from uh, executing the function statement and the means is how God helps the hearers to um, do or achieve the function statement so the malady I believe would be because of sin we're nervous to share Christ with others and then the means would be Jesus provides opportunity for us to sustain our saltiness through education and training in the faith. And from here, now that I have those, I'll be able to um, kind of uh, lock in and start to brainstorm what an outline of my sermon would be. At this point, I don't have a, uh, a, um, a sermon format that I've chosen. But uh, I know that I did last time, last time I did the uh, expository sermon. And I'm thinking that if I did an expository verse by verse last time, maybe it would be better for me to do like a more traditional four pages sermon this time. And so with that in mind, I'm... Starting to plan out, okay, so an outline of the the text would be, okay, consider the cost in one, relationships, two, your well-being, three, of your ego or your in your possessions. So maybe that will be three different steps in my sermon or three different uh, little roads I could go down as I'm pursuing in my sermon. Um, but overall, uh, one must go all in. When we get tired, we get embarrassed. And, uh, well, when we get tired, when we're getting embarrassed, we're ashamed to, uh, preach the gospel. We're afraid to, uh, talk with the stranger that we know needs the gospel right now. We're afraid to talk to the friend who's afraid to hear the gospel right now. So what do we need to do? We need to return to the manure pile because the manure pile is where we will like recharge our batteries. We will become salty again. And, um, I guess this is where I should probably explain to you where I'm getting my, um, my whole thing with the manure pile and recharging. But, um, I read the article in, uh, creation class, uh, well, we were learning about elements of creation over the summer and, uh, we had this article where it was talking about the different uses of salt in the ancient world. So one, it was used to flavor. Uh, two, it was used um, 
to ruin enemy land so that they couldn't grow crops there. And that would be sodium chloride, of course. And sodium chloride you could also use to um, preserve meat, that kind of thing. But also, so I did some digging in this article. And uh, what I found was that uh, the primary source for salt in the day was the Dead Sea. And they would evaporate Dead Sea water to get all sorts of minerals. And the first um, uh, mineral that would come out of this method of dehydration would be carnalite. And carnalite looked like salt, but it didn't taste like salt. It was bitter and gross. And so they would throw that out. And supposedly that could be a reason why uh, Jesus says, you know, they throw out salt that is no longer salty. Uh, But also they would get sodium or sorry, potassium chloride, which is... um, Like if you've ever gotten low salt or a low salt option, they use potassium chloride because there's no sodium. And what they use this for is to uh, kill weeds um, as well as uh, you could put it directly into manure to delay its fertile or um, fermentation process. And uh, therefore you could use it for longer as fertilizer. And also, and what I'm referring to constantly with the manure pile is you could put all of these elements into the manure pile with some uh, ammonia from like urine or whatever and some ash and you let it kind of cook in there for about two weeks and then you would water it all down and let that evaporate and you'd have a new solid Um, and then you would filter that through um, a like a nitrate and what it would become would be potassium nitrate which is what we still use today as fertilizer and so basically um, you could go and put your spent salt that's no longer salty into the manure pile let it recharge with nitrogen and then all of a sudden it was useful fertilizer so um, you know a Christian ought to constantly be returning to uh, teaching and preaching and the word and the sacraments to be recharged with this nitrogen to continue to be salty, to continue to be um, uh, a fertilizer of all the people that they meet, of their neighbor, of their friends, uh, of their enemies, and uh, foster the faith within them. So that's what I'm hoping people will get from uh, their time in Sunday school. And so... Uh, I'm also going to talk about um, the trip we're in Boy Scouts. We built the tower and how we reached back into our foundation of not tying and lashings and having merit badges to um, successfully complete the tower and not give up uh, as Jesus warns us of. And so where we can go from here is talking about the Four Pages Sermon. So the Four Pages Sermon is a very classic structure. Um, If you're familiar with like a typical Lutheran sermon, um, like say you're going to a Lutheran church in like the 60s and 70s and 80s, uh, maybe even today, they did a lot of something called law application or text application sermons where um, they would just talk about the text and like some law and some gospel and then apply it to how we're supposed to understand it today. And this is sort of like that, 
but it's um, more nuanced. It's I enjoy it more. It's called the Four Pages, and it consists of, uh, like it says, four pages. Uh, trouble in the text, so like what's wrong in the world of the text. Grace in the text, so um, you know solving the problem in the text, or how Jesus or how God or whatever solves uh, what the problem in the text. And then there's trouble in the world. So what trouble are we facing today? That's related to the text. And grace in the world, how Jesus um, and how God serve us and um, remedy that trouble today in the world. And what's fun about this is you can mix up these four in any order you want, and it will make a guaranteed cohesive sermon. Um, though they professors prefer that you finish with grace in the world, because um, I don't, if it's just going back to that text application sermon, the tradition of it, or um, just because it works most logically in that way, um, uh, whatever. But I identified for trouble in the text, salt is useless if it loses saltiness, grace in the text, those who consider the cost are disciples, uh, so they're salty, they have a foundation, trouble in the world, uh, if we're unsure of ourself without the foundation of education in the scriptures, uh, then we'll be afraid to share Christ, and then grace in the world, we have that foundation uh, in the word, and the Holy Spirit speaks and uh, speaks to us and gives us the words from learning the word. So that's a really good way for me to just start out on the sermon. And of course, I'll start to fill in in each portion what will end up becoming my sermon. And uh, I also want to uh, think of an intro. And I talked first about um, that tea story of how I didn't consider the cost when I was uh, shopping for tea that one day and it ended up ballooning up to this huge price, which of course I did not end up paying. I said, no, I'm so sorry, but I can't, I can't afford that tea. Um, but uh, after deliberation, I decided, no, I don't really think I want that for the intro. Uh, so I ditched that story. And instead I started to brainstorm and I was like, okay, this is a really tough sermon to to uh, hand off because people are going to be like, what, you're calling Sunday school manure, like the manure pile? Even though I frame it in a good light, um, it's still, you know, pretty shocking. So I'm going to talk about how, well, no, the manure pile isn't bad in this story. And really what that kind of shows is that we're removed from nature. So I talked I thought back to a story of when I went to the botanical garden here in Missouri and I saw a kid and he said, what's that tomato doing on that plant? And I was like, well, what? Tomatoes grow on plants. But this little kid didn't know that because he only knows tomatoes come from the store. So I thought maybe that I could um, touch on that in the intro of kind of showing how we're removed from nature now. Um, and so we don't. Uh, see or s actually sorry we don't smell manure as something that's good we smell it as oh that's that's refuse that's bad but really um, you know uh, people that grew up on the farm or in more agrarian settings might smell that like my mom and, and say that smells clean so I kind of throw in a story about 
uh, my mom telling me that when I was growing up, and I hope she'll appreciate it. Um, and so I really think that that's about it uh, for really the brief overview of how I plan my sermon. A lot of these insights, of course, came from different articles. I spared you guys the the grind of looking through every biblical commentary that I used and reading each biblical commentary and uh, looking up the footnotes in each biblical commentary because that wouldn't make good for good radio. So I sort of summarized just uh, off the cuff um, my process, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, always keep me in your prayers, and of course I will pray for you. And please call in. Uh, you know, drop me a line. I'll include you in maybe in the next show. Uh, if you have a question or uh, a comment or a story about something that I sparked from your memory, and I'll be sure to put it in the next show. So just uh, to do that, uh, click the link in the description and it will uh, bring you to the call in line. Thanks so much. God bless you. Have a great and blessed weekend and week.